beyond ideas of wrongdoing and rightdoing. There is a field. I'll meet you there. When the soul lies down in that grass, the world is too full to talk about. Ideas, language, even the phrase each other doesn't make sense. Hi everyone. It took some time and planning to get my dear friend Kirsty here today, but I am very grateful for her for being here to share her journey with us. Kirsty has, over the past eight years, become one of my closest friends. She is a dear and sensitive soul who has contributed significantly to my understanding of God. She has had a huge influence in my life on various levels, some of which we will surely discuss here. Probably, most noticeably, the existence of my cat, Tyson, in my life, for which I am infinitely grateful. She is as close to the crazy cat lady as you can get, but with only two cats of her own, I do not think she qualifies for the crazy part, yet. At some stage, Kirsty and I lived together, with Wendy, the scientist from a previous episode, Two Floors Up, in the same block. What fun that was! Although I know a lot about Kirsty's sense of spirit, I do not know much about how she got to it. I am excited to listen to her. Hope you are too. Hey Kirsty, how are you? Good, thanks Freddie. How are you doing? I'm well, thank you very much. I ate far too much. I feel as if I need a nap at the moment. <laughs> it's I, your own fault. You made the good breakfast with blueberries. I did enjoy the food though. It was very, very nice. Kirsty, we are here today to talk about your spiritual journey. Mm-hmm. Now you had a significant impact on my spiritual journey. Because while I'm I'll, sorry. <laughs> Don't apologize to me, apologize to Nochira. <laughs> while, while I was in treatment, you actually came to share there twice. And I think I kind of stole your concept of a higher power. Well, I don't know if it's stealing as much as it is finding what works for you and what you can relate to and what is going to help guide you through the journey of recovery. Tell me, what, what is your higher power? My higher power used to be myself, and that didn't work. <laughs> I was going to say, so how did that work for Yeah, you? no, it didn't. It was a bit of a... <clears throat> I am, a, I think, and see myself as a very logical person. And for me, logic, in a spiritual sense, I also need to see to believe. Okay. So for me, Mother Nature, I can see what Mother Nature does. Um, I also have not been brought up in a, a what I'd call a Christian environment. Religion has very much been a self-driven thing, hence I'm not a church religious girl, I'm a free spiritual girl. And if I look around me, I see Mother Nature, I see butterflies, flowers, wind, snow, rain, fire. All these things are either exceptionally powerful or unbelievably delicate and beautifully done and all those things I can't do. I love nature, I love the feel of nature, I love the innocence and the non-judgmentalness of nature, uh, which really works for me. Fantastic. So ultimately nature is your higher power. Absolutely. Cool. You said you didn't grow up religiously. Mm -mm. How did you deal with the religious education at school? I used to drive my scripture teachers nuts (laughs) 
actually. I have there's one teacher in particular, Miss Turpin, when I was in high school. She was my favourite teacher. She was exceptionally strict, but incredibly loving. Uh, I do find that working in, within strict boundaries is very good for me. But she's also very open-minded to challenges of discussion. So whenever we had scripture, I could see her going, oh, shit, she's in this class. <laughs> because I would challenge her and say, well, if this is this, why isn't that? And I could never understand if there is a God in a logical sense, why isn't this working and why does this happen to people? And and it just didn't make sense for me. So nurseries, when I was younger, I went to Sunday school for a while. But when I was in primary school, sort of in a nursery school, being in primary school, I would get a lift with people who live in the neighbourhood because my folks would invariably still be asleep at that time because they used to have wild parties. They were not getting <laughs> up in time for Sunday school. So I went to nursery Sunday, listen to me, Sunday school for a, for a while. And then I wanted to sleep late too, so that stopped. So there's never a sort of a, a strong religious thread. For me, church is very much weddings, funerals, and christenings. Okay. And to this day, I'm I'm still very much like that. How did it happen that you went to Sunday school then? My friends went, so I wanted to know what it was okay. like as well. I had a stage in my life where I was FOMO, and fear of missing yes. out. <laughs> That's changed. Uh, my sister's now firm and I'm what I call Jomo. What's that? Joy of missing out. Or <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're the older of the two. No, you're the younger of the I'm two. I'm the younger. Now, no, she's behind the curve. Let's blame her. She's FOMO. <laughs> she just wants to know everything and see everything. I'm like, yeah, okay, no, it's fine. Go shopping, leave me behind. Oh, well, I suppose if you're in Australia, there's, there's not a hell of a lot happening. So you have to grab what is happening. <laughs> Go for it. Let's blame Australia for this. <laughs> so, you grew up in Pretoria? Yes. In the bastion of Afrikanerdom. Behind the Burevors curtain. Behind the, very much behind the Burevors mm. curtain. You've got a lot of Afrikaans friends yes. and you met them in Pretoria? Yes. Okay. Strangely enough, my parents' friends are 90% English. So, as far as spirituality goes, would you have said you were you grew up with a sense of spirituality or what was your upbringing like in in terms of spirituality it's a difficult one because my personal belief in spirituality uh and or if I simplify for me the meaning of god is what i learned in treatment god stands for good orderly direction how you live your life, your basic moral standing, your ethics, your treatment of other people, the way you embrace things are all spiritual or religiously connected, depending on how you look at it. As I said, I'm not a, a religious church girl, but I do believe in God. For me, God is good, orderly direction. Okay. If I follow good, orderly direction, I'm leading a spiritual life. But that is, that is a realization that came to you in treatment. Yeah. But looking back on growing up, even though there wasn't a strong church, Christian, spiritual element, my parents' fundamental belief system fits in with a good orderly direction. And just also going back to treatment, there was this wonderful pastor used to come, Father Harry. Oh, I loved Father Harry. Very special man. And 
He was a clergyman. He was, if I remember correctly, Nelson Mandela's spiritual guide when he was in prison. Oh, I didn't yeah, know that. Yeah. Whoa. And he, you know, I used to challenge him again, you know, they see me coming and they go, oh, here we go. <laughs> and he explained for me the difference between religion and spirituality very simplistically, which makes sense to me. He drew f- a row of four cups, or four glo- four looks like a cup without a handle four and then another four underneath and the top four he put a roof and he put a symbol for a muslim mosque and he put a symbol for a synagogue and he put a symbol for a church and i can't remember what the other symbol was and all of them had roofs on and that was the religion and that's how the roman catholics works and the synagogues worked and the jews worked so this is everyone is very specifically this is how this religion is the four cups at the bottom, he did sort of free flow lines through <laughs> it, which represented spirituality, that it's free flowing, it's not contained, it's not limited, it's not structured, it's to embraced as it comes into your life and move with it and not stay restrained within the four walls of conformity okay. of religion as in the Roman Catholics or Anglicans or whatever you want to look at. So that for me is how my spirituality works. It's free-flowing. It moves around. It embraces everything that's good. Yeah. Whether it is something I hear about Muslims or from the Jewish, the Torah, wherever, it doesn't matter. As long as it's all good orderly direction, it's all good. Yeah. He taught me the concept or principle of this too shall pass in the most logical way because I had my conjoint with my ex and he remembered that I had it and the next week he asked me so how did the conjoint go and I said to him oh it went well but now I'm dealing with the ripple effects of the consequences and he said to me but the lovely thing about ripple effects is they is they get weaker the further they go and it was really lovely like as time's passed they just get weaker so it might you might feel it intensely now but over a period of time they just actually disappear completely mm. and that was lovely I think that for me that that concept is all about spirituality the little popcorn phrase is this too shall pass just you know let go and move on you can change yourself you can't change others all those positive things that we do in recovery and the way we change our lives all have ripple effects and the strong ripple effects impact the people closest to us, but in a positive way. Because my changing in this process has impacted positively in what I call my chosen family. Because they understand me and they get me. And my chosen family have become stronger and closer because I work a program, I share, I talk. I'm available. And they understand and I understand. So the ripple effect of that has turned out to... I mean, for me, I have the most amazing close-knit group of friends who at any point, at any time, I can call on, and they can call on me. And the ripple effect goes, it gets less and less, but it, it touches and impacts people who are not as close to me as others. Yeah. Cool. So, after school, you went to chef school? No. Not? After school, I went to Canada for three months. You look now, confused. Now I hear that for the first time. What the hell did you go to in Canada? I au paired for newborn twins for the South African ambassador. Oh, wow. In Ottawa. 
Okay, I've only known you for eight years and I've never heard of this. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and after that? I worked in a maternity hospital in a labor ward for three months. In Pretoria? In Pretoria. Okay. That was... That I know about. Unfucking believable How did that happen? My dad's a doctor and... When I was in high school, on weekends, when it wasn't exams and the nursery was busy in the hospital, I'd work weekends and school holidays and help with the newborn babies. Aha. Uh-huh. So when I came back from Canada, before I went to study, they were short in the labour wards, so I used to help admitting patients and set up theatres and labour wards and watch babies being born, and it was yeah, a very special time. Ah. Hence the fact that you could not too long ago help a lady give birth on, on the highway. Well, next to the highway. Ne- next to, next to, <laughs> yeah. Luckily, it wasn't on the highway, but too many cars. But that was also a very special moment. It's almost like Mother Nature keeps putting things in my path that's trying to tell me something. And, uh, yeah, this was a sort of a passion around nurturing, helping nursing. Nursing was initially one of the things that I was considering doing, being a midwife specifically. To work in the maternity hospital and helping with the baby on the side of the road. My housekeeper, who I'm exceptionally close to, didn't want a husband there because all the older women in the community had told her, your husband can't see what's happening. <laughs> uh, she's 25 and was very nervous, and I had the privilege of being her doula when she gave birth to her first daughter, Grace. So, yeah, that's very awesome. special. That's quite a spiritual experience. Huge. I left there feeling just... I, I couldn't actually feel a feeling. There was, it was so overwhelming that it took a day or two to actually process. And yeah. when I got home, I just sat on the couch with tears running down my face and the biggest grin you can imagine wrapped around my face. Awesome. Was, yeah, it was very special. Cool. So after maternity ward, you went to chef school? No, then I went to waitress. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, I waitress for six months in a restaurant in Pretoria, a place called Pirates Cove. It's hysterical. It's like a theme place. Where the hell was that? In Linwood, down out on Linwood Road. There used to be a club there called Limelight before Pirates Cove, and then it turned into some dodgy place I can't remember. I used to do a vast amount of drinking. At the place next to where Limelight used to be. But what was that place called? The Oyster Bar. Was the Oyster Bar? Because it was Pirate's Cove and next to Pirate's Cove was the Oyster Bar. So we'd work and feed the hungry and then go and drink like fish next door. Because I used to, to do the, the, the long twirly chips. Yeah, curly fries. Yeah. yeah. So that was that the Oyster Bar? Yeah. Okay. I think God, so. that, was my, that was my drinking joint. You. The amount of time and energy I spent there. And money. And money, money, absolutely. Yeah. And then you ended up in chef school. Yes. Was that always the intention when you left school, that you wanted to chef? Yes. Okay. And honestly, when I think of chefs, I think of Gordon Ramsay. Which I'm a doesn't bit, exactly... I'm a bit prettier. Which <laughs> that you definitely are. Mm. And you have a less foul mouth. <laughs> we could debate that. <laughs> but when, when I think of chefs, I think of very, very unspiritual, foul-mouthed, drinking, possibly drugging 
picture in my head. Is 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 was that your experience? Absolutely. Uh, when is I it because of the fast pace of the stress of the? It's almost chefing is for me. It's more of a culture. Your hours don't fit in with anybody, any of your friends, yeah. your family. You got you working when everyone's relaxing. You go partying when everyone's already left to go home and sleep. You sleep when everyone wakes up to go to work, so you end up sort of being quite a night, yeah, morning person. So you have a very unique routine with yeah. other people. Have a very unique routine. Yeah, and you work hard. You know, if you're in a big restaurant, you work hard. You sweat like a. You pump out food at a rate. The adrenaline rush is literally like a drug. When you have a busy service, it just it pumps. And sometimes after a crazy night at work, you wired. You haven't had any drugs, but you wired. Yeah. And then you go and hit the clubs, the bars, the temples, the massage parlors. No, no, that's too chill. <laughs> I said there. that's one night in Bangkok. Let me take, but take me to your. What's the words? One night in Bangkok. Uh, no, we'd have to um, Google search that. Anyway, there's something about bars and massage parlors, bars, clubs, massage parlors. Like if we were things. working Saturday, Saturday meant you went in in the morning and you did a deep clean when I was working in London. Deep clean of the restaurant and then you'd have a break and we'd walk into the pub next door to the restaurant and then you as well. So they'd see you walk in, they knew what your drink was and before you got to the counter, your first drink was already on the bar. Ah. Yeah. Many a night we had lock-ins because pubs need to stop serving alcohol at a certain time and because we got on so well with the waitresses and the bar girls we used to get locked in and then just carry on drinking or we'd hit the clubs with a few drugs in our back pockets <laughs> just just a normal a normal night out just in London just a normal Saturday <laughs> night fair nothing yeah but you also spent quite a lot of time working at beautiful lodges in South Africa Yes, I did two years at a beautiful private game lodge in Pumalanga, which was unbelievable. That must have been a wonderful closeness to nature. Did you have time to appreciate that? Were you in a mindset, in a space that you could appreciate the beauty around you and the nature happening? Initially, the first year and a half, I definitely was. We used to also go on staff game drives. It would just be staff that got on a vehicle if there's a ranger who was free. We'd just bundle our stuff and bugger off into the bush. We'd game view and we'd just sit and watch and listen and be with, which was awesome. A few times, it was beautiful, sort of sort of late summer, autumn when it starts cooling down and clear skies because there are no lights around, the stars are phenomenal. And we'd go and lie on the landing strip, the airstrip. Ah. So it was warm. <laughs> and on one end of the... Landing strippers, the pride of 20 lion, enjoying the warmth of the town. On the other side is 20 staff from Canada. <laughs> <laughs> Understanding the the sort of boundaries of how far you can and can't step to each other. Oh, wow. And the game rangers would sort of do an astrology chat and point out and what this was and this and all the different stars. And it was absolutely amazing. That's a, what sounds awesome. Mm. One of the scary moments was sitting on my... My stoop after a hectic day, it was about 11 o'clock at night, smoking a big fat reefer and uh, relaxing totally, just sort of half falling asleep and sensing something around me to wake up to find a hyena ah. right next to me. If I'd put my hand out, I would have been tickling under his chin. Are you chin. serious? I nearly shat myself. 
I screamed so loud the hyena went white, <laughs> levitated and ran on air, and I woke up a few of my colleagues. A game ranger, head ranger was, house was next door to mine. So I cursed you, okay? I'm like, oh, this is a fucking hyena. I'm, I'm fine, I'm fine. <laughs> Had to have another spliff after that. I was a little bit rattled. <laughs> we, we, at what stage did you start smoking dope? Uh, first time was my first child of school, so that would have been 1991. Okay. At, at, at the restaurant? No, the friends. <laughs> <laughs> okay, after the ambassador. <laughs> uh, he bought the best shit in, <laughs> in Canada. <laughs> organic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Those were the days before organic still. Yes. Okay, and that eventually became your drug of choice? No. Not? Food's my drug of choice. Ah, true as well, yeah. Uh, crossed over at that stage, um, smoking weed was definitely recreational every now and then. Um, but the way it worked in with my eating disorder, my, I'm a compulsive overeater, I eat to suppress emotion and anxiety. Marijuana suppresses feelings and emotions and numbs, uh, as do... What I was starting to get into before I went into treatment was anything that was sort of Zopax, Xanax, anything with a Pax, Valium, any benzos. Okay. Because, yeah, all of, everything I went for would be to suppress and push down. Okay. I actually had a very clear thought the other day where I always struggled with the concept that I used to suppress my feelings. And... I can't remember what it was, but it, it became so clear to me that that is exactly what I've done, or what, what I did. I just could not deal with with what was going on for me, and I just I just used, and I, while being high, I didn't have to deal with it. Absolutely, I still struggle a lot. It's with um, my ED. I mean, clean off drugs and alcohol f- and cigarettes for over eight years now. My eating disorder. Through years of therapy, it's actually, you sort of, they talk about the onion peeling the layers, and I'm peeling the layers, and I don't, I'm not struggling so much about eating on feelings as I am on anxiety. Because you were actually diagnosed with anxiety a while ago. Yeah. Something you never really realized, because you you just dealt with it by smoking dope and eating. And suppressing, yeah. Yeah. And then I could feel this hum, this is this low-level hum that I the way I describe my anxiety and I could feel this low level hum that was consistently and continuously there um, it, it changes now and sometimes I feel prickle up my arm then I know <laughs> there's anxiety and I need to address something where I get a prickle on my scalp okay. and it's sort of it's a moving prickle it's not just like a pinprick it'll be like a creepy crawly prickle that a nerve Whoa. runs across the scalp or up my arm uh, the other one is I can feel the anxiety sitting in my stomach as like a fist. The I love my parents. They've done the best they can with what they've got. I love them dearly, but I do believe I was <laughs> born to the wrong people. <laughs> oh, I had exactly <laughs> the same thought. Yeah, and I, and I say that with love and kindness and no judgment or resentment. Shit happens, life happens, you make the best with what you've got. That I was fetching them from the airport, and for some reason the message hadn't come through. The data hadn't been turned on for, to the phone that sent the message to say our flight is left on time. Ah. 
So I didn't know if they'd left, if they were late, what time they were arriving anymore. And I could feel that anxiety build up in my stomach. I could feel the knots. And I lay in my bed and I've got two sheep now. They're my, my inner child toys. One's called Scarpy and one's called Bar. Oh. Bar's new. Bar's been a new addition. Bar's okay. big, fat, round, fluffy, soft, squeezy Aww. sheep. And Scarpy I've had for a few years, and he's got beads in his feet, which are nice and tactile. So when I'm stressed or reading, I rub his feet and there's little beads that oh, help to soothe. So both Scarpy and Bar were close by, as were the cats. And you'll be there on time, Kirsty. And when they let you know they've landed, you leave because you know that's enough time. So when I understand what the anxiety is about, I can talk myself through it. Okay. When I don't know how to deal with it, I still reach for food. Anxiety is just the most awful feeling. Mm. I mean, there's there's the breathing techniques and those things, but um, oh my god, it's. I, I remember a while ago, I, I went through morning anxiety. Mm. I would, for two three hours in the morning, I would be so anxious, and I had no reason why, or I couldn't figure out why. Oh, it was awful. So I have such sympathy for people who struggle with anxiety. Mm. When I get anxious at work now. Also, I find I consciously I can feel the anxiety because I can f- I can feel it, and I, I consciously make the decision to start breathing, and I breathe I do circular breathing through the nose, out the mouth, through the nose, out the mouth. And if there aren't clients in front of me, then I'll actually do counts and do four in, hold four, out four. Oh, okay. So it becomes very rhythmic. Yeah. And that helps. Tell me, so when you came into into recovery, in, when you went into treatment. Did you immediately know that that nature is your higher power, that nature is going to be the power greater than yourself? No, I had no idea what it was. So how did that develop for you? I went to a treatment facility, the same as yours, that had... Also, I grew up camping and going to Kruger. So I've always I've always loved nature, animals, wildlife, flowers. It's, just, it's, it's been part of what I've grown up with. And going to a treatment facility that had a little dam and goats and pigs and black swans and spitting emus and (laughs) ducks. And it it made me realise this is it. Yeah. Sitting and sort of looking out the window, watching the storm raging, it's like, yeah. This is this is my heart, okay. Mother Nature. Yeah, I remember you sharing about Mother Nature when 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 I was in treatment, and that definitely resonated with me significantly. Mm. You know, people said if you need to use your grand's dead dog as your higher power, you do what you need to do. Dead dogs didn't quite resonate with me. <laughs> <laughs> what I find really lovely about your journey is you mentioned the animals now and now after nearly eight years you're actually now working with animals yes and i have i don't think i've ever seen you so fulfilled how do you experience that is is that how you feel about it that's just something that you've been called to do the first time i started working at the vet it was part-time and I loved it. It's, you know, I've always, I'll, even though I'm an introvert, I'm an extrovert at the same time. I'd, it's just it's such an interesting comparison because I'm an introvert, but 
my work persona is an extrovert, but my true persona is an introvert. And I hide my introvert quite carefully because it's, it's an insecure side it's of me. guarding. Yeah. And at work, I've always, all my jobs and every work I've ever done has been interacting with people on a sales level, restaurants, waitressing, and running the practice now also. So communicate and spend a lot of time with people. What's really nice about this is I love animals. I've always loved animals. I love the untainted innocence of their reaction to you. The unconditional love. The fact that by getting down to their level and talking quietly, you can calm them. You can nurture them. And by that, I'm getting nurtured. So it's a very two-way affection. There are dogs that come into that practice that pull the owners up the stairs and they know which side of the desk I sit and they just they come straight to me. <laughs> their tails I'm freaking wagging. out, help! You know, it's, it, it, it's a combination because we also do a bit of Pavlov's bell. They look at me and I go, how are you? And they lick their lips. <laughs> because I the, have a cookie jar is it on my desk. The feeder. I'm the a feeder feed. without a dog. Oh, I'm a feeder as well. Myself I and to. others. <laughs> I have to I have to acknowledge that. My name is Freddie, I'm an addict, I suffer from depression and I'm a feeder. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> hence, um, hence my cat looks the way he does. But the thing is is that for me it's so important that the visit to the vet isn't only about needles, thermometers, tablets being bodily invaded yeah. while they check out because nobody likes that with animals you can't quite explain what's happening. So to make sure that you love them and kiss them and cuddle them and give them cookies so they have that good experience with the bad is really important. (laughs) Cats are different. Cats are different. They're little shits. (laughs) They don't fall for that covered love with biscuits. Kirsty is the cat lady, by the way. Crazy cat lady. No, she's not crazy. She's just the cat lady. (laughs) Cat whisperer. Love, yeah. And Um, the the, the vet that you work for is an hmm. excellent vet. Yes. But let's face it, his bedside manner sticks. <laughs> no, his bedside manner is great. What? No, he's great. He's yeah, right. hence the fact that I arrived home all covered in blood one day after, <laughs> after, yeah, after we, taking your cat to the vet. <laughs> but, but we understand that was a different, you know, to keep it PC, man's finger, little kitty's butthole. <laughs> I understand why you were shredded. I still say he could have warned us. <laughs> yeah, but then Georgie would have heard and that would have been all bets off. It would have been worse. You've got to do some things by surprise. But uh, I find interesting is you're saying about the introvert extrovert because you get along so well with people. Do you like people? Some people. I prefer animals. Yeah. What I also find interesting about you is your commitment to friendship mm. I mean you, you've been you have such a close knit group of people whom you have brought with you virtually through your life mm. there's not a lot, of, a lot of people that can say that and, and for me that's amazing what does practicing spirituality mean to you? okay that's a big question practicing spirituality for me is Doing the next right thing for myself. Okay. Treating people as far as possible the way I would like to be treated. Behaving in a way that 
promote me for who I am in a non-egotistical way, but in a in a spiritual way. Doing kind things, or you know, it's like the old lady who walks up the road. Depending on what the traffic's doing, will depend on which way I go home. There's an older lady who walks up the road and she doesn't beg. She just stands there and looks at you and she's sweet. And some days I can and some days I can't. But when I can, giving without expecting anything in return. And then seeing that smile on her face and getting pure joy and feeling a sense of peace that I've done something nice for her. Yeah because I am in a better place financially than her, and I still struggle financially, and I, I sit with my head going, oh, you know, oh, I can't do this, I can't buy this, I can't buy that. And realising, materialists, you've got a roof over your head, you've got two cats, you've got a car, you've got a job, you've got da-da-da-da. And here's a lady who doesn't have all that, and that puts my spirituality back into me, and it's like, it's okay. Yeah. And it's little things, being kind and caring and nurturing, and for me... With work, 90% of our clients are just spectacular people. You have, no matter where you go, there are always going to be those people that just ruffle your aura, whether they do it intentionally or you allow them to, you know, we can debate that. But Some people see, are just awesome. Absolutely. <laughs> That's part of acceptance in life journeys. Some mm. people are just awesome. I can change myself, I can't change yeah. you. You'll be a dick for the rest <laughs> of your life, and that's just the way it is. But... I don't do things at work for recognition either when it comes to clients who've lost pets or are struggling. And one of the biggest things I've learned in treatment is just because somebody's crying, it doesn't mean you can hug them. Ah. And being aware of other people's space, and that is also part of my spirituality. Clients distressed, may I hug you? Okay. And if they invite you, you give them a hug, and if they don't, you don't. And that's also very big, but it still blows my mind. And I think it's also my higher power in a way, because I, I struggle to understand the impact I have on other people's lives. And you, for instance, have told me, other people tell me, you do not realize what you bring and what you give. Absolutely. And I, and I struggle with that sometimes. So what's amazing, the vet is bunches of flowers arrive, and I immediately assume it's for George, the vet. Yeah. They're like, no, it's for you. I'm like, well, what? Why? <laughs> and it's a client who, you know, I've done I've done my job. Yeah. Thank you for everything. And it, it, that's helping me to understand the impact I have on other people. And that for me is spirituality. It's my higher power saying, <clears throat> hello. Yeah. Don't beat yourself up. Look at the positives. This is a gift from somebody, but it's not just a flower gift. It is a gift to help you understand what sort of person you are. That you have something to give, that yeah. you are making contribution. Yes. Well, if I, I, I thought about a few things now while you were talking. One of them was that earlier when you said you, you haven't smoked now for about eight years, is it's thanks to you that I stopped smoking. Well, and at, no, it was. Initially, at, it was a bone of stage, contention. No, at that stage, it was, I was really not happy. But looking back, I have you to thank for it. Or I possibly would still be smoking. Mm. And I'm very happy that I'm not. The other thing is, Kirsty has recently connected with an old friend of mine. 
at the vet and through that brought an old friend back into my life, which, which is lovely. Yeah. So those type of things you do without even thinking about it. Mm. So you really make a huge contribution. But what I really hear from your understanding of spirituality and that I find really interesting is that it starts with you, not in a selfish way at all. Mm. But if you're okay, you can spread the okay. The ripple. Yes. Again, the ripple, yeah. But if, if you don't take care of yourself first, then everything's going to fuck out along the way. So that, that I really like. In treatment, I used to think, you know, they always say you're the most important person. And I used to look at that and think that is just such a selfish fucking way of looking at life. And as I progressed through and looking back on the eight years, it is, I am the most important person from a pers- pers- perspective. Thank you. From a perspective <laughs> of Got that one. <laughs> spirituality, well-being and all of that. And when I'm spiritually fit, the ripple effect that I have on other people's lives is spiritually positive and reinforcing and good. And if I'm in a, my spirituality is empty and I'm not feeling good, I introvert, I retract, I remove myself. That's negative and bad for me. It means I'm not supportive and I'm not, I don't have the positive energy putting out, which is goodness, light, love, kindness, nurturing, all those beautiful spiritual principles. I love the word you use, spiritual fitness. Mm. That has really become a huge concept for me in my recovery, but also for my sponsees and for clients. We, we tend to think because we had spirituality at some stage, it kind of sticks. <laughs> but we need to work at it. it it's something only, that, that we constantly thing, need to... The only thing that sticks is shit. <laughs> it's just cock on a Volcom bath, exactly. like my mother used to say. Yeah. Shit sticks. <laughs> but it's warm for a while. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> but, you know, you can sit in misery... For the rest of your life and feel sorry for yourself but you're going to stay in the same place doing the next right thing for yourself and being spiritually fit means you remove yourself out of the warm slinging yeah. shit and sometimes it's very uncomfortable and it, it I still remember <laughs> one of your I don't know if it was your first show your second show your first year and how I compared your recovery to a man wearing a wetsuit that was three sizes oh. too small. <laughs> and it, and you really did. That, Fuck, it, it was uncomfortable. It was, eh? yeah. <sighs> and that, for me, is also my recovery. In the beginning was a wetsuit that was three sizes too small because I didn't understand the spirituality side of it and the recovery side of it. And it's not about perfection. It's be- about progress. That's another thing where you saved me, is that two years clean when I was so, so, so depressed and Mm. so unhappy, when you actually intervened and said kind of, this is not okay. Mm. Something's wrong. You you need need help. You You really, really need professional help. And Mm. thanks to that, I got the professional help and my life has changed drastically. So another thing, you know, it's really huge. Because what is happiness mean to you? We all have all those people in our lives, you know. It's like Wendy, who you've spoken to already. You and Wendy are my go-tos. My recovery is different to others. I don't go to all the meetings like you do. 
but I talk, I talk to my dietitian, my psychologist, and I talk, I phone a friend. If I don't know and I'm confused, and I'm not sure if my reaction is in line with what's actually normal, I will phone. You check. And I'll phone you and Wendy. And my recovery at the moment is different. I don't go to a lot of meetings and I don't do a lot of step work. But when I go to work, I take my spiritual high part, take Mother Nature with me. I have a desk that looks out onto a park. I can see the weather and the wind and the trees. I have animals that come in. <laughs> Some of the clients are animals, but I don't engage <laughs> You don't pick them. them. No, <laughs> they bite. And if I don't like the client, that's fine. I deal with the animal and that makes the client happy. Yeah. So, spiritual, I work my program in a different way, but I still stay connected to my higher power, to the people who understand me and can help me. And as I said before, and I saw a thing on Facebook about you get your given for me. I'm uh, The older I get, the more I realize I have my given family and I have my chosen family. And my given family are incredibly important. My chosen family are the ones who are always there to support me because they get me, they understand me. And if I don't surround myself with my chosen family. Excuse my French, I'm fucked. Yeah. Because let's face it, the given family just don't get it. No. They can as, try. As much as they love and they yeah. try, it's just not. Last question, and I'm going to use do it differently today. I always ask people, are you happy? And it's always interesting to see people's reaction. So I'm going to say to you, what is happiness for you and have you attained your understanding of it? Where I am now, this stage of my life, a happy day is having been, been a productive member of society, having woken up, brushed my teeth, packed my breakfast and my lunch, gone to work, done the job to the best of my ability, cuddled some animals which fill me with <laughs> love and happiness, leaving work, going home, Lying on my bed at the end of the evening with my two cats and Which are Bar beautiful and two cats, by the way. You know, Bell and Twinkle Toes with Bar and Scarpy, <laughs> rubbing both their tummies, going, this is a happy day. That is what I'm having at the moment. And That's it's not fantastic. about money and, and it's about, was I good to people? Did I have a good impact? Have I been productive and earned my salary? Is my belly full? Have I paid my bills? And I know my cats love me. Oh, your tax is up to date. Who's that? <laughs> I paid tax the other day. Oh, I can't afford to. I felt so bitter about it. Uh, you, but let's not go there. Well, I pay tax every month, so I'm not even going to stress, and I oh, cool, earn below yeah. what you have to, so I'm like, whatever. Good, 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 no. good. But yeah, if I, I get home and have a quiet evening in bed, with my two cats and my two sheep. <laughs> sounds, sounds like a farmyard. Because <laughs> thank you so, so, so very much. I really appreciate it. And you must have a beautiful day and give hugs to your kitties. Kisses too. They like kisses. Cool. Kisses too. Okay. <laughs> thank you. Thanks, Freddie. Bye. Bye. Thank you, Kirsty, for sharing your story with us today. Kirsty and I share nature as a higher power but she seems to have had a much earlier understanding of its significance in her life than I did. I heard her sharing a story twice while I was in rehab and was extremely taken by her spiritual connection with Mother Nature. 
I am so incredibly happy for her that she gets to work with animals, which she loves so dearly. I take my hat off to her for her success in getting animals homed. Not that it is part of her job, but due to her love for the cause, her passion speaks and people around her listen. It is due to her that Yaku got our other cat, Pokal. Thanks, Gerst, he is such a gift. That is Pokal, not Yaku. Oh no, actually, both of them. But Gerst had no hand in getting Yaku into my life, though. I wish you all the love and kisses in the world. If you want to know more about what I do, please feel free to connect with me on my website, which is www.freddy.org.za, or find me on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash freddy.org.za forward slash, or on Twitter at at RendsburgFreddy. Remember that Freddy is always spelt with an IE at the end. Be safe. Bye.